Welcome to machine learning. Well, another week's gone by, and uh, you know we've talked uh, this week a lot about Python and uh, and uh, multi-index group buys. You know, and I look back on that uh, uh, training. You know, it's uh, I was finding a lot of interesting patterns. Um, uh, with it relating to medical. So I did the liver patient analysis and what I was finding was interesting is the data was very well structured, allowing me to identify quickly the features that uh, were really significant. And uh, then using those significant uh, features, I was then able to predict uh, between the two classes uh, uh, patients with liver disease and, and patients that were healthy. And, uh, and so that uh, is a, was a, a, a good experience in going through that analysis. And then I started thinking about back in the, uh, some of the contract work I had done with certain companies. And, um, and I was remembering uh, the diagnostic codes and thinking, you know, how could I use the diagnostic codes to better understand the data? And, uh, um, you know, the, then you do a lot of uh, aggregation and, uh, you know, plots, and, you know, visualizations to try to understand, uh, you know, what the, what the, 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 what the ramification of, of those particular diagnostics or diagnoses. Um, so, you know, the medical industry looks like, you know, there's a lot of area there for classification and trend that could be uh, useful and uh, learning how to analyze that data was gonna, is going to be important. And, you know, you can see the, the desire to um, gain a better understanding of, of that data so that they can uh, make predictions. Um, one of the one of the things I've been thinking also of is particular industries that are are now moving towards automation. Um, so in the oil industry, it's interesting because they've now built uh, large robots, uh, you know, run from control stations that uh, can change the pipes out on the deep deep uh, oil drilling in the in the, in the water. And um, uh, I was looking at some stats on that, and it's, I think there was about a thousand drills or something that are out there. And, uh, and so when you look at the number of people that, that is required to, to maintain the uh, operations, it is pretty large. Um, and so you have to weigh that against uh, uh, the automation. But the thing that's really fascinating about the automation is it pretty much works um, all the time. There's gonna be certain conditions where you're gonna have to shut down the equipment. But uh, as long as the, uh, uh, as long as it was within a certain operation parameter, the uh, machines will can work in 
various uh, different temperatures. Um, you know, they they work in hazardous conditions where you know a person might slip or fall, and you've got chains that are moving, and you've got things that are un untwisting and coming off. You could, you know, they're heavy, um, and uh, and so there, you know, there's this uh, constant attention to to the to the work so it's, it's like assembly work you have to be in your game and you have to be very focused uh, so that you don't you don't have an accident um, and so you know the, the robotics in that field it looks like it can have happen also you know the, with the automation and warehousing maybe in the future that uh, you don't need to go to the grocery store that uh, everything will be delivered to your home so you, you go online uh, you, you place your orders and then the stores have robots that quickly go to different bins and retrieve the items put it into a basket in the floor um, with a number and then those items are um, packaged into boxes or they're, maybe they're left in crates I yeah I'm, I'm thinking that they're probably just left in the crate and then uh, trucks come and pick it up take it to your home and so from the time that you place the order to the time it arrives to your home let's say it's reasonable maybe within an hour and then as automation gets faster uh, you know selection uh, you can a person can take as long as they want in terms of, of the selection but once the order is placed the robots quickly assemble the uh, products and uh, deliver them to the uh, consumer and the, and the advantage of that is is that uh, that uh, there's less labor for restocking. The, the machines automatically restock the bins, and uh, you have uh, automated logistic handling. So the replenishment of those items is done uh, based on probabilities of depletion and uh, <clears throat> arrival times, calculated arrival times for the product to be replenished. So in, in some cases, uh, you can see when things are out of stock. You know, you don't have to go uh, to the store, look to see that you know hand sanitizer is uh, uh, not available. And so, in some ways, for the consumer, it, it saves you time, and uh, that saving of time is uh, an, uh, an advantage as you uh, are working to uh, maximize your, your efficiency and. and reduce down your cost well in an automation is going to impact um, all aspects so the big companies will come in and offer these grocery products uh, deliverable at your home so as more and more people shift towards uh, home delivery then uh, the competition will uh, follow and so then then you're saying, well, what will then stores that offer walk-in uh, be? And then that would probably be 
more in the uh, along the lines of of uh, maybe like an antique shop. They would be rare. Once once the paradigm towards automation becomes popular, then um, the manual handling of food would be rare. And so that would be like your full service. So in case where you know you go to get gas, no, you you know it used to be a time where uh, the, the, the gas companies, you know, everyone was uh, full service, and then. Once people realized that self-service was faster and uh, more convenient, and companies realized that it would cost less for them to offer self-service, self-service became the new norm. Even though there would could be um, the potential of mishap, you know, like uh, overflow of gas, but then they put in uh, uh, things that detected when the flow of gas had reached the top and automatically shut off. Um, but that isn't to say that there couldn't be hazards. And, you know, the, there's, I, I constantly see uh, signs that say, you know, do not smoke or, you know, turn your car off uh, while fueling. You know, those things can uh, be ignored. And maybe in the future you have AI that, uh, you know, it instead of the person having to get out of the car, they just wirelessly beam over. Um, their credit card information to the device and the robot uh, uh, fills their, their vehicle. Let's say if it's electric recharge, maybe it, it uh, recharges their battery. Uh, if it's fuel cell, then the, the robot would uh, fuel up the hydrogen in the tank. And um, those might be things that uh, in the future that robot a robotic anim, um, automation is required. Watched a really good movie last night called All My Life. It was based on a true love story. And I thought it was really interesting that some of the things that were said, like at one point in the movie, um, he wants to just die alone and He's dying of cancer and he wants to just die alone. And his wife says, no, you can't do that. We, um, we are together. And it wasn't a pep top. It was just a real leveling. She says, you know, we make these choices together and we grow, to, you know, we grow together and we die together. We suffer together. And, um, she said, you know, you promised me that you would, if you live with me, that um, you would step up your game if I asked it. She says, I expect you to keep your deal. And I like that phrase, I expect you to keep your end of the deal. Because sometimes in relationships, love is not enough. You know, I, I love is very powerful, don't get me wrong, but it's not enough. And we have to just keep, do our duty, you know, keep on living. Um, and if you only have six months to live, why not live those six months well, you know, build relationships, uh, continue to strengthen relationships that you already have, make a diff, try to make a difference in life. But that should be the, the goal that you're working on 
uh, already. And I'm not saying that, you know, I'm the, the guru and you're not. But uh, when I say that, I shouldn't say you, but it seems that one person should uh, uh, attempt to make a difference in the lives of others. And that's where you get value. And I talk to people who are very educated and they constantly are touting their credentials. Like I did this course or I completed this degree. I've got two master's degree. I got a PhD, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, well, that's wonderful. That means that you are smart enough to do the work, learn the material, but who cares? And, um, you know, it sounds kind of blunt, but you know, it does. It, people are interested in things and people that can help them. And so if you can bring some value to help them, then, you know, they're going to pay attention. Um, and, you know, big corporations have to be aware of that too, because things change from time to time. And yeah, there are certain things that, you know, never change. Like you have to eat, you have to drink water, you have to eat. Those are things that uh, uh, are constants and givens. However, uh, you do have you do have the ability to make choices within the uh, very very there's variables inside those choices that you can make. Like we can choose what kind of foods we want to eat. But then when you get health problems, then you really can't. I mean, in some ways, you're you're very limited to uh, the foods you can eat. I have to be careful. I move to more of a vegetable diet. And, um, uh, you know, I cut back on my meats. You know, not just to have say things I don't like meat. And, and it tastes very good. And it makes you feel really good after you've eaten it. But I... I have to be careful about the fats. My, my liver just doesn't seem to do very well with lots of fats. And so, you know, my wife will sometimes serve these really delicious meals. And, and the next day, you know, I, I can tell that I've, I've had uh, too many fats. So then I'm, I'm back on my vegetable diet. <coughs> Excuse me. But, you know, those are the things, those are limitations in your choices, you know. But uh, th those limitations and choices sometimes are brought on by constraints. And so we're, we're not always free to do whatever we want. We're, we're free to, to make choices and then we live with those consequences. That's a little bit of philosophy there. All right, so what's next? Uh, um, I've got, you know... Going through the pandas data frames, that was really good. The group buys, um, you know, I'd, I'd mark that on my bookmark and uh, was looking forward to doing that. Um, I have some courses I think I'm going to be looking at this A-B testing. Now, I know that I've talked about recency, frequency, and monitorization before with you, but... Um, thinking about this A-B testing as a value to businesses. And the reason why I think that that could be valuable is, you know, uh, companies have to build front-facing interfaces to the uh, public. And they invest money to 
build their image and presentation and their logo and those things are important because those become ways for consumers and businesses to identify who you are. Um, and so like when you, from the box of cereal that you eat to the car you drive, there's a certain brand or model or label um, that is associated with that product. And so the, it, it isn't necessarily that those uh, non-tangible aspects are the reasons people buy the vehicle. It is uh, a way for the company to identify themselves or distinguish themselves from the, their competitors. And so, like say, if you looked at two cars and you said, okay, that one's a Hyundai, that one's a Saturn. And then you're trying to figure out, okay, well, okay, what was the Saturn brand? Is that a GM? Is that Chevrolet? You know, and then how did they, how did they originate or diff, why did they break off and form a company called Saturn? What is different about Saturn versus GM? So then, you know, there's this, the, the branding, you know, may play kind of a marketing uh, play with your mind. And, you know, then you start going to deeper things like uh, features and functions. So you could take two cars, comparable, look at their price, look at their functions and features, look at the, the engines. And then, you know, just looking at functions and features, you could evaluate, you know, which one might be a better value. And value that is uh, is related to what you're willing to pay for that, that vehicle. Um, so you could go to the secondary level, which is reviews, you know, consumer reviews. Uh, what, what are the consumer opinions of that product and how well they perform and uh, you know what are the aspects about them that you you particularly like and so uh, there's that element and uh, So there's many aspects that uh, contribute to uh, how we we see brand. And when you look at things like, uh, for example, look at uh, karate and all the different styles of karate, then uh, you kind of get a feel that uh, um, that uh, that brand or matters because that it translates into the quality of the training, the philosophy of the fighting, and then the the results. You know, you could say, "Oh well, look, look at this uh, Masuyama's karate. It's strongman karate. They win a lot of tournaments." Then you have to look at the rules of the tournaments and the, and the fighting rules and you know things of that nature. 
and then you might conclude that the Japanese karate is very uh, strong. And then you could see, go to YouTube and you watch the Kung Fu versus Karate and guys and the Karate guys are knocking out the Kung Fu guys. And, uh, but then, you know, you could go to a, a game, uh, they used to have, I think, different martial artists. I think they called it the Masters or something like that. And then they would uh, set up their roles and the Kung Fu guys would uh, a lot of times beat the Karate guys because they would have the kind of more uh, evasive, they were more evasive and counter-striking, whereas the karate was very direct and, you know, uh, it was like boxing, you know, they would, they would overpower you by sheer force. And so uh, uh, these, these, were worth, these are things that, you know, within the, the constraints of your rules that uh, affect affect your thinking, you know, and, uh, and so that, 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 uh, is a factor in how you, uh, how you, do, how you may want to select a karate school to, to study. And these are things that I think that, uh, that you have to think about when you're in business and uh, trying to understand the um, how the the systems work. Every system has its strength and weak, strengths and weaknesses. But you can learn from the from the people who are successful. You know what was it that they're they're playing to in the minds of, of their customers. You know, and I see like a, a school that's filled with students. What was it that played in the minds of those students that said, I want to learn karate? You know, what was it that they saw that said, you know, that's karate I want to learn? And it's kind of like the cars. When you're, you're looking at cars to drive, you know, what was the thing that said, you know, that's a cool car, I want to own that. And I was, I was, uh, someone was showing that, that, you know, how the, there was a machine learning, um, algorithm was showing Tesla's market capitalization over the last, uh, you know, decade and how quickly it went from, you know, from a, a starting company to now a company that's four times the capitalization of the next largest company, which is phenomenal. What facilitated that huge amount of growth, you know, and why did he make such a huge investment into building uh, manufacturing plants and, you know, building better batteries, the lithium battery, and, and uh, at a time when environmental issues would then become a key focal point of politics. How was it that his timing was so right on? And, you know, you, some people will say, well, he's a genius. Well, okay. Others people will say, you know, he just saw a trend and he responded to that trend. And, uh, and then, you know, or he just thought it was cool and he just built a billion dollar company 
because it was cool. You know, he's into SpaceX, he's into the high-speed uh, tra mass transportation. Musk is into, you know, electric cars. I think he was made a mistake in electric cars. I think it should have been fuel cell cars. But, you know, he was like, no infrastructure for uh, fuel cell, no hydrogen. Government hasn't invested to build a hydrogen highway. Uh, you know, onboard reformers are not going to be popular. Can't produce hydrogen fast enough. But all those things are, are not true. The onboard reformers can produce hydrogen fast enough. And, uh, you know, they, they could have had a methane uh, water mixture that, you know, was a, a fuel type. And then the reformer could break it down. The problem that they didn't like about that is that, you know, one of the byproducts was still carbon. Because you had methane and it has carbon in it. Oh, but there were there were vehicles that could take just pure water and electrolyze it fast enough and produce hydrogen at a, a high enough quantities they could operate a car. So you know you have uh, on onboard reformers that could produce your hydrogen and uh, the hydrogen then could produce the current necessary to move the motor, uh, drive the motors. Uh, So, uh, well, I think for the next week, you know, I'll be focusing again on some of the fundamentals, probably on Python. Been uh, trying to answer Stack Overflow questions. It's kind of interesting with the Stack Overflow with the machine learning and data science. You'll see a you'll see a question like you know. Uh, why is a random forest tree not feature scalable? You know, and I, I answered the question. It seemed obvious. Uh, well, it's because the, the feature tree is a, a function of parameters. So your number of estimators, you, you put in an N estimator, and that tells you how many decision trees that you're going to have. Um, and then you can put in your maximum depth. That'll tell you, you know, what the, the depth on the tree uh, can be. So it'll parse out the rules to a conclusion. And uh, so as there's more rules that are discovered, more trees become online. And see, it's an assemble type of thing because each tree gets a vote and then uh, it, it uh, tallies up the votes and then gives you a probability based on uh, the outcome based on the votes of the different trees. And so what that does is it allows you to have incomplete data in your data set but still have fairly high accuracy. And um, uh, but as far as scalability, if you start throwing more features into your data and your data gets larger, the tree doesn't dynamically scale to those new features. Well, I explained that to in the thing and they, they voted it down. I was like, I think they were like focused on uh, scale, feature scaling or, you know, there were some 
terminology that someone got caught up on that maybe some professor had thrown out and said that and then they didn't understand it so they went over to the Stack Overflow and, and put that question in there and, uh, and hoping that someone who would nod on that, that terminology a little while could come back with a, an answer. And there, there are people that love to just build the machine learning and data science algorithms from scratch. They don't, they don't, they don't uh, use the libraries. They build their own libraries and they build their own you know, vector uh, transformations, which you can do. I mean, that's what you do in computer graphics is you do a lot of matrices multiplication for transformation, transformation scale, translation uh, scale, rotation. And then you do a lot of mapping for your texture mapping or nerves or spline, B-spline, curve, curve fitting algorithms where you're finding roots uh, on surfaces. And, you know, but then eventually you can just use an API and get the same results. And so, so you know, someone at Silicon graphics did the mathematics and the computer science to build the, build the algorithms and then they put it in the form of a library and then you could pick up that library in C++ and use it. Now you can pick it up in C Sharp or uh, you can pick it up in a number of different uh, libraries and just use it. Well, it's cold front. It's kind of weird. You hear news and uh, that it's people in Texas have got hit hard by it. It's hard to imagine anyone in Texas getting really a lot of snow and cold, but it's just the way those Arctic winds, or yeah, from the north came are pushed down and just uh, extended down to clear down to Texas and they got a lot of cold down there. We get, we're getting some of it here and uh, you know wake up in the morning and you know it's close to zero and uh, we're in you know, almost into March and you know, I'm, I personally don't like the rain and snow and you know, a lot of accidents happen and or drive too fast, you know, for the weather conditions. Uh, so even on the way, you know, while I was doing this podcast, I saw, you know, at least two accidents. And they were, looked like they were pretty bad accidents. They had a kind of marked off and waiting for the tow truck to arrive to you know, haul, them all, haul off the car. But yeah, it's, it hasn't been a pleasant morning for, for driving, that's for sure. And the roads are really slick. <laughs> I can feel the tires sliding on the road. So I'm trying to get to my karate class and teach my students. And that's why I was talking about branding. And I, I, I see, like, you know, these students uh, from all over the world. I, I signed up for all the Japanese karate and... I like the the training that they do 
and I watch, you know, I watch the the old masters perform their forms, and you know, and it's kind of inspiring. You want to you want to take uh, the most popular and see what they're doing. You know, find out what uh, what the training is and what the disciplines are, and talk to to different people around the world. And it's really fascinating that there is an icon that is very strong in people's mind, and that is to be able to do the splits. If you can do the splits, then um, and you can kick, you know, above your head, then you've got potential as a martial artist. But see, if you could do all those things, you could kick and you could punch really fast. And then you went into a 100-man kumite, you would not survive very long because of the just the sheer exhaustion and punishment. You would have to have had a training program that helped build you into a world-class athlete. You know, you're running stairs, running hills, uh, push-ups, sit-ups, you know, the whole works. And they need that needs to be uh, part of your your routine or, and, and be capable of that level of performance. So it's like you're um, maybe, I would say liken it to maybe a triathlon athlete. You know, you got to be able to uh, kick, punch, move. You have to, you know, you can't absorb too much punishment. They're, they're kicking at you. I mean, every every new fighter is coming in. You see, you're looking and analyzing and see, you know, what their presentation is, where their weaknesses are. And, you know, sometimes there's leg sweeps that you can do that are efficient, that can take them off balance and uh, kicks to the legs. Or in some cases, uh, you know, high kicks to the head. And, um, and then, you know, sometimes they just go straight exchanging where they just punching it out. And though, you know, you might win against one person by punching them out, but you could not win against a hundred people punching them out. So you have to, you have to find, um, an inner peace with yourself and, and reduce your ego down and, Remember that your objective is to survive the 100-man kumite. And um, I always uh, am fascinated when I see, like, sometimes who these fighters are, I mean, compared to other fighters. And one of my uh, favorite fighters is uh, Judd Reed, and he comes out and he, uh, he looks... Uh, it must be like 5'10 or something like that. I was like, wow. Compared to these other fighters, he's a he's a much smaller fighter. But, you know, in his training, he trained with a lot of people about the same height as him. And he didn't look like a small fighter. He was bulky. He was, you know, he was uh, strong. He, he had incredible conditioning. Uh, you know, they would sprint the hills, up the hills. And, his training was phenomenally tough. And now as an older fighter, 
know, he's just showing them hand combinations, kicking combinations, punching combinations, you know. And, uh, and I, you know, I wrote to him, I said, why, you know, they just think that they can trade with you and they can do just as well as, as you do um, with your, you know, trading your punches. And so they think that, you know, they're performing at a world-class level. But in reality, they have no idea the conditioning and training that you went through. Like, he would pick up logs and carry it on his back and do squats. And, uh, you know, they did, like, army ranger tough stuff. And just, just conditioned and conditioned and conditioned. And as a result, he was just a strong fighter. I mean... <clears throat> They, he was known for his kicks. He has power in his kicks. And towards the end of the Kumite, um, he had lost a lot of his strength in his legs from being kicked. And so they had taken away a lot of the fight in his kicks. And now he had to win by punching. And he was already tired. And, uh, you know, and his coaches you know, were telling him to be evasive. And so you could see in the end that now when all the power was gone, that he had to use his mind. He had to uh, figure out, you know, where to, to put bursts of speed and, and effort in and, and how to uh, win without kicking, which was something that uh, was really amazing to watch him do. And then what was phenomenal is the next day he's uh, signing his autograph. You know, he's not in a hospital trying to recover, but he's uh, signing an autograph. And he's up and walking around and letting people know that he's not hurt. So he really is the, a strong man. And uh, it's very uh, amazing story to watch. You can watch it on YouTube and got those documentaries out there and you can really respect the man because he uh, he did a phenomenal feat that maybe only one in a million can do and a lot of fighters they might they might get through 30 rounds of fighting with people but very very few people can actually go 100 rounds you know that comes back to the the uh, old days of Masuyama where they would go up in the mountains and they would fight all day full contact, you know, so you, you, uh, if you want, if you dared go in and fight against their black belts, you had to know that those black belts were going to kick you, and, uh, and they were strong, and so, you know, his, his strength, uh, kind of connects back to these Okinawan, where they do the conditioning, where they, uh, they harden their bodies up. Punch at the different parts of the body to harden it up, and he he uh, implemented that discipline in a different form in the form of kumite, where the his fighters were hardened up, they're toughened up from extreme hardcore conditioning. But in the end, you, he he realized that it was the way of the mind. To have to survive because now all your weapons are 
been depleted and now you have only your mind and so you have to survive and fight with your mind so at the core he really did understand martial arts because he wanted to teach his students that even when you have you feel exhausted you feel like you know everything is uh, breaking down you still have more to give and that, that is an amazing principle to be taught. And, and the fact that Reed had the opportunity to learn that, um, I think is just fantastic. Because he might have gone through his whole career as a martial artist believing that um, all you need to do is be stronger than the other person. But there are going to be times when you're not stronger than the other person. And you're hurt. And you have to still survive and how will you do that you have to find that uh, inner strength to, to continue well I wish I could give you some like great insights into machine learning other than keep practicing and keep making predictions um, again you know get the data off github I, I grabbed some Kaggle data on the Olympic data, and it was weird. It had, uh, for the, the last 20 years, the data had some weird highs and lows in it. I think the data had been corrupted intentionally by Kaggle, so you, you had to do some sort of uh, uh, smoothing algorithm because it because from about 1980 forward when I was analyzing the US uh, trends it looked really strange I mean it looked like the US had high number of medals one one Olympic and a low number of medals the next and and it was uh, varying on and off and uh, so it was very confusing that way all right, well, I'm signing off, and I will talk to you next week.